The green stuff. It was midwinter. The sun was glinting and low. The boy was in his father's woods when he met another child. The other child, sitting on a stump with its legs crossed and its tin in its hand, was bright green. Who are you? the boy said. Who are you? the green child said. It had such bright green hair, such bright green skin and clothes so green that greenness came off it like a halo and seemed to be leeching out of its feet into the mud they both stood in. If the boy had dipped himself under the curtain of algae in a summer pond and stood up, risen dripping in it, this is what he'd have looked like. The green child's skin was alive. Tiny segments of greenness shifted under and over each other, like CGI in a computer game, except more real. Tiny, wet, actual, real leaves shifted and shimmered merrily on the crawl all over the green child. I live here, over there. These are my father's woods, the boy said. Oh yeah, your father, the green child said, and your grandfather and his father and grandfather and the ones before them and before them all the way back to the very first. Then it laughed. Its laughter sounded very like the boy's own laughter. The boy stared. He felt himself become very polite. These are our woods, he said. They've belonged to us for centuries. The green child gave a little snort. You can't own woods it said. Well, that's what the authenticated historic certificates we've got up at the house all say. The documents signed by kings and historic people with the wax seals and ribbons still on them, the boy said. Certificates that go back nearly to the beginning of records. Oh, records, the green child said. Proving, the boy said, that for centuries our family has not just owned these woods, but everything in them. A twig snapped under his foot as he shifted his weight. Yeah, and I bet you think you own that twig, the green child laughed. I bet you think you own that blackbird. It pointed at a bird flying low over their heads. The boy felt himself grow pale. I bet you think you own all the living things you can shoot and eat, and the things that are too small to, like the squirrels, the green child said, and the things too inedible to be eaten. They're yours too, are they? I bet you think you own the deer and the hares and the foxes and the badgers and the rabbits and the snakes and the birds and the bees and wasps and the butterflies and the moths and all the insects. You think you own the dragonflies, don't you? You think you own that tree and that one and that one. This is, yes, officially all ours, the whitening boy said. The green child began to laugh. It laughed so much that wet green stuff came out of its eyes and ran down its face. It lay down on the ground and rolled about laughing in the dead leaves. It picked one up and held it out, brown in its green hand. And every single leaf, every single tree makes, the green child said in the wintry earth. I bet you've got a certificate that says you own its whole life from when it starts to form inside the tree, then becomes a bud, all the way to when it falls off. And the fallen leaf, when it gets thin and is just veins of vegetation on the ground. And the memory of summer that the dead leaf has, and the memory of all the summers in every one of these winter trees. We own it all, the paler and paler boy said, in what was very nearly a shout. All of it. 
and the grasses, the green child said, and the sounds that the leaves make in the summer when they're on the trees and the wind lifts them, and the creaking noises that the trees make when the wind knocks them into each other in the winter. You own it, do you? The woods belong to my father, the pale boy said, and eventually they'll belong to... And the mud that comes in the thaw of the winter, the green child said, and the water that gathers in the tracks in the mud, the water in that hoof print there, and the microbes that live in the mud and the water. You own the microbes, and the microbes on the microbes, all the spores, all the germs. Both children looked at the deer print in the mud between them. Then the boy looked the green child straight in its green eyes. Do you live in this wood? He said. You don't own anything, the green child said. If you live in this wood, then we own you too, the boy said. And if we don't, get out, you're trespassing. The green child sat at the boy's feet in the mud and the wetness on the green of it winked like it was covered in Christmas lights. You think I should go? It said. The boy made his mouth a firm line. Really? The green child said. Are you sure? The boy stood his ground in the winter mud and the green child vanished. The boy stood in the nothing for a bit. Then he went home. He was cold. Plus, it was frozen pizza night. In the early hours of the next morning, the water all through the woods froze solid. That next day, the boy didn't come down for breakfast. Then he didn't come down for lunch. At four in the afternoon, when it was dark out, his sister began to wonder where he was. At half past seven, she went upstairs. She stood outside his bedroom door and felt the unnatural cold in the hall. The handle turned in the door, which meant the door wasn't locked, but it wouldn't open. She called their parents up the stairs. At the top of the stairs, the parents exchanged a look. The father put his shoulder to the door, the mother shoved hard. When they finally opened it, enough to see into the room, they saw they'd been shoving against a substantial little wall of snow. The room was full of snow. The boy was in the bed, under some inches of snow. They brushed it away from his face. They pushed the melting snow off his chest. His mother used her little finger to dig the frost out of his mouth and nose. He gave off coldness. His eyes were shut. His eyelashes were frosted. Is he dead? His sister said. Their mother sighed and no. She went back downstairs to watch the rest of Antique's roadshow. The father pushed past, carrying her brother down the stairs. Well, given that he wasn't dead then, maybe it was okay to take some photos on her phone for the family history, etc. So she took some images. The snow on the carpet on the landing. The snow on the inside windowsill of his room. The snow several inches high in a ridge on top of the books on the bookcase. The snow wedge on the laptop. The crust of melt close to the radiator. She went downstairs herself. The rasp of snow still stuck on the cotton on the shoulder of her now fully conscious brother's dressing gown. 
He was looking at them all, as if from a great distance away. Do trees have memories, he said. Don't be silly, his mother said. On Antiques Roadshow, an expert, pointing to carvings on a large cupboard made of walnut, was talking about mannerism and the 16th century. The cupboard, he was saying, was a forgery or a reproduction, made 300 years later than it was pretending to have been made, and therefore worth a lot less. The boy's eyes were on his father, who stood at the window, looking out at the blackness. He had his hands behind his back. Does water in winter remember what it's like to be water in summer? The boy said. The sister remembered that people who've been frozen should be wrapped in stuff that looks like tinfoil. She went to the kitchen and came back with a box. She pulled a long, noisy swath of light out of the box and tore it loose on the serrated edge of the packaging. She wrapped it round her brother's chest. How did you make it snow inside the house? She said in his ear. Her brother closed his eyes. Their father had his phone out and was calling the people who did the garden for them. They came and dealt with the situation. They opened the boy's bedroom window and tipped shovelfuls out. They hung themselves out of the window and shook and banged the books and things together in the night air to dislodge what melting snow had stuck to them. They plugged little heaters in and placed them in strategic positions to dry the carpets. The sister took some phone photos of how much snow was piled up against the side of the house after they'd finished. There was a surprisingly large amount. But somehow she managed, by mistake, to delete all the pictures she'd taken on her phone. That night it happened to snow out in the world anyway. This made it impossible next morning to differentiate her brother's snow from the general snow everywhere. Snow fell all night. It fell all the next day and all the next night again. It fell silently. It gloved everything with itself. So much of it fell that in the muted nearby town, when people opened their front doors in the morning, they couldn't see their cars in their drives anymore. In the woods, snow formed tall, unstable walls along each branch and bank and surface. Birds shook snow off their heads, backs, tails and wings and sheltered under branches where snowfall formed for them little shelters from itself. Snow piled up on the backs and foreheads of the deer that lived in the woods. The one white deer in the herd disappeared, except for its black eyes. When it closed its eyes, they disappeared too. The Aconites waited underneath everything. Above them was earth, mud that had frozen hard, layers of dead stuff from the year and all the years, and a good lagging of snow. Their leaves would eventually be green, and their flowers vibrant yellow. They'd be both poisonous and healing. They'd produce themselves out of the ground when the time was right in the woods, as ever. <laughs>